0: series on uh, David, and I I hope it's been an encouragement to you. He is a hero uh, unlike any other in Scripture in a lot of ways. Uh, We're going to start today with a little bit of a game show. Uh, I want to see how many times do you think David's name is, is used in all of Scripture. So there's two Testaments, 66 books, covers thousands and thousands of years of uh, of history and literature. Uh, how many times do you think David's name is included in these pages? Don't count the footnotes because those were written more recently. So just, so come up with a number that you think it is and you have to tell the person next to you so that they can know how wrong you were here in a second. How many times, how many times you think it was? All right, now that we've got accountability here, How many of you, how many of you said over a thousand? All right. It is over 1,000 times. I didn't actually look at the exact number. Thousand times. Over a thousand. There you go. All right. So some of you uh, are advanced Bible scholars and the rest of you need to pay more attention. No, David comes up a lot, a lot. One of the reasons he comes up so much is that there's just so many incredible stories about him, but part of it is that that he's described as a man after God's own heart, and we're going to be talking about what that means today, because it's not immediately clear. It might be easy to say, well, clearly it it means that David's heart cares about the things that God's heart cares about. The problem is that over and over again, there's stories that show that, that that's not entirely true, and we'll get into that a little bit today. There is this sense that David is going to be incredibly obedient to God, except like we talked about last week on the times when he really isn't. And There's this sense that David is faithful to God, that he's loyal to God. And so we're going to kind of go around these things and see what it is that gives David this sense of of being a man after God's own heart, which he has described that on, on several occasions. And we've been through the story of of David, and we've seen where he came from. We went back to the story where he was anointed at at his father's house, at Jesse's house, because he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, When Samuel got there and was ready to anoint uh, one of his sons, when Jesse's oldest son came in, uh, Samuel thought, surely this is the one. He's good looking. He's just, I can see leadership exuding off of this guy. He's got royalty uh, written all over him. And God says, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. And you get the sense that Samuel's kind of going, really? Because I think he could be the one. And and God tells him, no, you need to know, Samuel, that I don't look at the things people look at. I, I want someone who has the heart that I want, that has the kind of heart that can be a good king over Israel. Because I've got Saul that's leading right now, and that's not what I want. I don't want someone who looks the part. I want someone whose heart fits the bill of what I'm looking for in a king of my people. We talked about a couple years later when he would fight as an older teenager who was strong and experienced. A Philistine named Goliath, a giant who the rest of the army of Israel was terrified of. David walks up to Saul and he says, I'll kill him. And Saul says, you're not a seasoned warrior. This guy's killed so many people. And David says, well, I've beaten bears and lions with my own hands uh, and got sheep out of their mouths. I think I can handle this Philistine. And Saul says, you know what? I think you're right. I think you are ready to go after this Philistine. And so David goes and defeats Goliath and cuts off his head with his own sword. He, in the years to come after that, becomes a magician. Not A magician musician I wrote magician in my notes earlier this week and I read through it and went that's not right I'm gonna and I fixed it in my notes I just didn't fix it in my brain David became a musician that played music and not magic Um, a a (laughs) musician a musician He wrote songs, he wrote poems, he prayed to God, and he gave prayers to the church that would echo through the centuries, and we still have them today. Uh, David was the author uh, of nearly half of the psalms that we have today, psalms that have become songs that we sing, and we don't even know that it was the shepherd king of thousands of years ago that wrote these songs, that we sing today, that give words and voices to our shared songs and prayers to God all these years later. And it's a reminder that each one of us needs to have a relationship with God, whether we're praying as a shepherd in the fields or as someone who is, is living as a child of God in, in the good times and the bad. In every season, David had a song. And in every season, we need to be able to pray honestly to God as he did in, in our lives. He surrounded himself with people who would help him to to be the kind of person he would need to be to rule over Israel, but he didn't get there immediately. He was a middle-aged teen when he's first anointed by Samuel, and it's several years before he kills Goliath, and it's several years before Saul uh, quits hunting him down, and Saul dies in battle, and David is anointed king. But even then, after waiting probably seven or eight years for the promises that God has, has anointed him with and, and announced over him through Samuel. As a teenager, David had to go, man, God said I'm going to be king, but right now I'm just hiding in a cave. God said I was going to be king, but now I've got this, this group of, uh, of really rough guys that are traveling around the countryside with me fighting for our own uh, life, our own living. We're trying to make it out here, and it's hard. God when do the promises get fulfilled? And about 7 or 8 years after the first promises, David's anointed king over his tribe, Judah, but not Israel. There's another 7 years of battling against the house of Saul and against Ishbosheth and Saul's children, a civil war between the houses in Israel that David is still trying to earn his place that God has promised him. And it takes, you know, a decade and a half of his life before David finally becomes king over all of Israel. And he shows us what it's like to be faithful in the good times and in the bad, in the waiting and in the fulfillment. And David becomes this example to us in so many different circumstances. And what's incredible is during those years, if God had made David king as a young teenager, he would not have been ready to rule. He would not have been ready to reign. He didn't have the relationships. He didn't have uh, the clout. He didn't have the reputation or the credibility. He hadn't led uh, men in battle. He hadn't helped people to make good decisions and and develop the wisdom that he would need. He didn't have the the elite fighting force that developed around him during these years of waiting that, that would be the group that would protect him and do anything for him. You see, so often during the times where we're saying, God, why not now? The answer is, I'm still getting you ready. God, why not already? And he's saying, be patient and let me keep growing you towards where I need you to be so that when you cross the finish line, you're exactly the person that needs to be the kind of person who crosses the finish line. And so God works in us in in the waiting. He's doing stuff that we don't even see to prepare us for the successes he has in store for us in the not yet. And when David does get there, he's got his mighty men. He's got his friends. Jonathan is his covenant brother, his person that, that even though Jonathan should have expected to sit on his father's throne, that Jonathan was willing to give that up because of his relationship for David. He looked after David. He interceded on David's behalf so many times when Saul wanted to kill him because of the threat to Saul's throne, which could have been Jonathan's throne. And Jonathan said, no, I, I choose this friendship over my own future. David had friends uh, like the three mighty men and the one who ruled over them and all of the the 37 mighty men who were part of his group, his elite fighting force and his bodyguard that that took care of him. And if there's something you see over and over again about David, it's that almost always somebody wants to kill him. And so how important is your bodyguard when you live in a situation where there's always people that are trying to assassinate you or, or destroy you? that you're in exile, that you're on the run, that the king wants you dead. Your friends that are protecting you matter. And we live in a world where there's people that come after us in the workplace and in our, in our homes and in, in our communities and our relationships. We've got people that want bad for us. And you need to make sure that you've got friends like David had, that you've got a family that'll surround you and say, I, not on my watch are you gonna get hurt. I'm going to take care of you i'm going to protect you i'm going to remove the obstacles to your success so that you can be someone who has the victory god has in store for you we need each other we need uh, the people that god has brought to us to stand up and be our people we talked about how david uh, even in the midst of all of that was not perfect he's got a lot of struggles and a lot of problems and the, the biggest failure of david that we talked about last week Uh, was the incident with Uriah's wife, with Bathsheba, where he asked the people, who is the woman who's down there that I'm looking at that I shouldn't be looking at? And they said, it's the wife and daughter of two of your mighty men, your elite fighting force that you know so well. They said, well, they're off at battle. Well, I'm here in the palace, so why don't I take what I want and what's not mine for my pleasure? We talked last week how David didn't give in to the power of temptation. He gave in to the temptation of power. It's that lie that we believe in that if we can get away with something, we think we're entitled to get away with it. And so he took what wasn't his. And Nathan comes up to him and says, Hey, have you heard this story about this, this rich man who had all these sheep, and when a guy came into town, there was, this, there was this poor man, and this poor man had one sheep, and he loved this sheep, and the sheep ate from his table, and the sheep slept with him at night, and the sheep was like, like a daughter to him. And then the rich man had a guest come into town, and the rich man was like, hey, I'll just eat that guy's sheep instead of one of mine. I don't want eat one of mine. And so he takes that man's sheep, and he kills it, and he eats it. And the story is so horrific. And when David hears it, he says, that kind of behavior is not acceptable in my kingdom. Whoever did that must die. And Nathan says, David, you. You're the man. You're the rich man. And David is, sh- is struck by this, the horror of what he has done because he thought he had infinite power. And so David becomes over and over again this example of patience and this example of success and this example of, of praying and crying out to God and being honest to God in, in songs and in prayer and in all situations while he was performing music. Music is what he was performing. He's an example to us in all of these things. And so it's not a surprise to us when in in the book of Acts, Luke is describing David and he says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What a thing. Wouldn't it be great for God to say of you, that you were a person after God's own heart, and to have confidence that whatever it is that God needed you to do, that you would do it. And that throughout all of history, what God would say is, boy, Kent was a man after my own heart, and he was someone who would do anything I wanted him to do. What a thing to have God say, and, and to have Luke write about you. But it, it, we gotta kinda hold this tension together, because David's not perfect. Now, in addition to the whole Bathsheba thing, there's the incident where where David desires to build a house for God in Jerusalem. He's built a house for himself and a palace, but he wants to also build a house for God, a temple to replace the old temporary tabernacle. And so he wants to build this house, but, uh, but he calls Solomon his son, and David says to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this Uh, Word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And so David is all at once a man after God's own heart and someone who has committed too much violence to build God's house. God didn't want the the bricks of his home to be built uh, with the bricks that have blood on them from the hands of David, who had to conquer to establish Israel. Now, did God send David to conquer those people? Yeah, but He doesn't want that—that that violence connected with His His house. And so there's there's this challenge when we look at David of kind of saying, "Man, he is a lot of things. A man after God's own heart who has problems." <laughs> And I think it's incredible that we, we celebrate that, because it's a reminder to us that we so often look at our lives and say, I'm not good enough to do this for God. I'm not good enough to do that for God. God needs someone to do that. I hope he finds someone that's good enough to do it. And if we understand David's story, what we can see is that, that God can use flawed people who are after his own heart to do anything if you're just willing to do it, if you're willing to step forward with courage, if you're willing to be the kind of person that God wants. And David was faithful. He was loyal. There's certainly an aspect of being a man after God's own heart that involves his, his loyalty to God. And, and we need to kind of look at, at this. We're going to unpack it a little bit, the character things of David. We know the flaws, but what are the things that that he did that that kind of give us an indication that he had this, this pursuit of God's heart? And how do we become people who are pursuing God's heart? David is faithful and loyal. He always has the interest of God ahead of his own. When Samuel goes to anoint him, uh, before we even know David's name, we know that the one who he's going to anoint king is going to be a man after God's own heart. That is the job description that David is being anointed for, that he's going to keep his steadfast commitment to Yahweh. And so while he's not always perfect, and he doesn't have the things of God as his in- intentions and give his attention to those things, what we do see is that, that he's always someone who is faithful to God. He's loyal to God. And I think one of the other things that really separates David from Saul is that when Saul makes a mistake, he's really quick to tell you whose fault it was other than himself. And I think this is key. I think this is really important. Over and over again, Saul makes a mistake and Samuel comes up and says, why did you do that? And Saul said, well, because you weren't here on time. It's your fault that I did the thing I wasn't supposed to do. Samuel says, hey, why did you do this thing? And Saul says, well, I thought it would be fine. I didn't think it would be a problem. Here's the thing, I I direct a camp session, Camp Rock Creek, it's a third through eighth grade camp. And some days, uh, there's some years that I'll give a speech. It's usually about Wednesday or Thursday um, when I've gotten on to a number of kids during the week, and they've told me why it's not their fault that they're in trouble, and, um, and my head starts to explode because it's Wednesday or Thursday of camp, and I've just, I'm there, I'm at that point, and I'll get a big group of them together, and I'll tell them, I'm going to give you lessons in life to not become a loser. Um, it's a really good speech. You should, you know, I won't give it to you because it's, it's, it's a little angry. Uh, lessons in life to not become a loser is when you make a mistake and someone tells you, hey, you've made a mistake, do not respond with, it's not my fault. Or uh, don't respond with, nuh-uh, I didn't do anything wrong. Or don't respond with, uh, you should fix it, I don't need to fix it. You will be so much more successful in life if you will take ownership of your mistakes. You don't have to be mistake free to be successful just when you mess up say you're right i made a mistake i want to fix it you'll make more money you'll have a better job you'll have a better marriage you'll be more successful you'll have more friends it's a very good speech (laughs) but we tend to respond when someone says we've done something wrong with defensiveness with complaining about someone else with cross-complaining about how it's really your problem and not my problem. All of these things. Saul does all of these things. But David, over and over again, when confronted with his mistakes, doesn't respond with, Nuh-uh, that's not my fault, you started it. That's one of the others. Don't say, You started it. They started it. Don't do that. It's a key to being a loser. David says this, Psalm 25, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. David says this after sinning with Bathsheba, created me a clean heart, O God. David, when he messes up, he makes big mistakes, but they're not as big as his apologies. They're not as big as his efforts to amend that which he has destroyed. David takes responsibility for his actions. And, and there is something about that that, that, that repentance that David has that brings him back into good standing, not just with God, but with others around him. It opens the door to his success, even in the midst of failures. And I think we need to learn from that. I think it is any time that we make a mistake and we don't take ownership of it in front of God, we let it stay there as a wedge and a wall between us and God's heart. But when we say, God, I messed up, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? The wall is already removed between us and God. He's already forgiven us of that. But when we don't take ownership of it, it's like we want it to stay there. I think one of the reasons that David becomes this this legendary man after God's own heart that this story echoes through generations is because of his willingness to own his problems and make amends for them and pursue right living on the other side of them. And he does it over and over again. Not only does he do that, he has this incredible relationship with God. And it doesn't come across as much in in the pages of Samuel as it does in the pages of the Psalms where David is pouring out his heart to God. And you see so many things that, that he writes. Later, Jesus is going to say, not everyone who calls out my name, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment is going to be saved. There's going to be some that I'll say, I don't know you. You say a lot about David but one thing we know for sure is that he knew God and God knew him they've got a relationship that's deep it's not a shallow relationship it goes to the core of who David is and you see it over and over again in the Psalms and and I just want to read some of the things that David wrote that show us how close he is to God he says I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. He wrote, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. When you're in the, having the worst day ever, and you know who you're going to pick up the phone and call, it's the person you trust. It's the person who's been there with you through the stuff before. David picked up the phone and called God over and over again on his worst days. And it tells you that he's walked with God through the tough stuff, that that's who he's calling in his tough days. He would write, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?' "'The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid?' Psalm 18 begins, For the director of music of David, the servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord in the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. One of the great traumas of David's adolescence is his trying to escape from Saul. And when he does that, his response is this, the very first phrase of that psalm, that prayer, I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord. And you don't question if he means that. We know this isn't lip service because of the depth of his poetry and the depth of his, uh, his words and worship towards God. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. He says, God, I'm so thankful for all the blessings and goodness you give me. In Psalm 9, for the director of music to the tune of The Death of the sun, a Psalm of David I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. There's too many of us today that have been blessed by God and blessed by God and blessed by God, and we don't tell anyone about it. David says, I'll tell everybody. Everybody. People say, David, how are you today? He says, I'm good. God's blessed me. How are you today? I'm incredible. God's taken care of me. He shared with people, and he shares them over and over again in the Psalms, what God has done for him. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so in the pages of Psalms, we see that David's relationship with God is genuine, genuine. And here, if we want to be uh, women after God's own heart, men after God's own heart, in our world today, we need to have a real and genuine relationship with God. We're not just going through the motions and paying God lip service. That on the bad days he's our first call and on our good days we tell everyone about all the good he's done for us and in between we're checking in and telling him uh, who we are and who he is and what he's done and what we've done and there's just this this relationship of great depth between us and our God to become people after God's own heart Not only did he have a relationship with God, not only did he take responsibility for the mistakes that he made, but he is obedient. He's obedient. He's, he's someone who is committed to following the instructions of God whenever he can and when he, he doesn't always. And so when we get to the end of his life, and this is the passage that James read this morning, when we get to the end of his life, David has this opportunity to give final instructions to Solomon when he's taking over as king. And you have to think that if, if this is your last opportunity to give your son instructions to rule, there is, uh, I went down a, a big rabbit hole earlier this week, and I'm not going to take you down it, but it's a really interesting thing if you want to look into it yourself, is there's a tradition that goes back uh, at least half a century of when a president of the United States leaves office, they leave a note for the next person to be president of the United States, and they tuck it into the desk. And it's the one thing they leave in the office that's a personal item for the next person. So that when uh, the next president is sworn in and goes through all the, the pomp and circumstance and ceremony, they go in and they can take the letter out and read the last instructions that the last person to sit in that seat left for them. That's a weighty moment. And if you can imagine that amplified by it being your, your son who's going to be taking over, not just... An, an empire, not just a nation, but taking over uh, the role of sitting on a throne in God's, in God's place, being a placeholder for God as the ruler of His people. There's so much weight to these instructions that David is giving to Solomon. And when he thinks about what he needs to say, here's what he says in 1 Kings chapter 2. The time drew near for David to die, and he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said, so be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants, watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. David says, listen, son, be strong in your reign. Act like a man. Don't be frivolous. And and, and he says, be strong. Observe what the Lord would have you to do. And I love this instruction. I think we need to spend more time observing what God would have us to do. I spend most of my day following what I think I need to do and my Google calendar tells me to do. I need to spend more time picking my head up, eyes open, observing what God wants me to do. Observing who God has put in front of me to talk to observing what work god has that i need to do Uh, observing what what spiritual growth god needs me to tend to in my life not just the growth that i have in store we need to observe what god wants for us and then he says uh, obey all of god's commands all of his statutes all of his rules all the regulations follow them as best you can and that'll make you a good king And here's one of the things that doesn't come up in in whatever your career field is. You can apply this. If you want to be a good accountant, one of the things you need to do as an accountant is apply the rules and statutes of God to your job. If you want to be a good florist, apply the rules and laws of God to be good in whatever your realm is. You don't have to be king for this to be good advice. You don't have to be a queen for this to be good advice. This isn't royal advice. What this is, is in anything that God places you over, obey God's commands in it. Follow His rules and His regulations. And David says, here's the thing you need to know, Solomon. I've been promised by God that as long as we are faithful to His rules and regulations, one of our family, one of your line, one of my sons, one of your sons, one of his sons, one of his sons, will sit on the throne Forever. God's made that promise to me. If you'll just do these things. And so in the final words we hear what's important to David as he passes on his king kingdom to his son. And the promise at the end of that, that if they will just remain faithful, then one of their line will sit on the throne of David forever, and the throne of Solomon forever. if you read the rest of the old testament what you'll see is that their sons keep getting kicked off the thrones over and over and over again until jesus shows up jesus who the genealogy of jesus shows us is in the line of david and in the line of solomon and is going to sit on the throne forever he's going to be the fulfillment of this promise to david and this promise to solomon and this promise to jesus It's fulfilled in Christ. And and the final instructions to Solomon are to be obedient to all of the commands and laws of God. But there's an echo to me to the end of Jesus's masterpiece sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he gives the final instructions at the end of this, this huge sermon about following God's rules and laws and being obedient and being the kind of people in the kingdom that Jesus wants. You see, David was setting up an earthly kingdom, and his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, is setting up an eternal heavenly kingdom. And he gives a different set of instructions and a different set of rules to follow. And at the end of it, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. David tells Solomon, son, if you will just be faithful to God, our our line of kingdoms, the throne, is unshakable and undestroyable. But if you're disobedient, we're going to have a lot of problems. If you don't follow God, the throne will fall. Jesus says, "If if you do hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. When the storms come, it'll fall with a great crash. Son, if you follow God, our throne will never fall. Jesus tells his followers, if you follow my teachings, your house will never be destroyed, no matter what comes in life. But if you don't follow my teachings, if you don't stay faithful, the storms will knock you down, will bring your house crashing down. The promise to David was made because he was a man after God's heart he would have an eternal successor. Jesus is that successor. Paul's writing in Romans and he says this, and, and this, we're just about done here. He says this, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Jesus sits on the throne. He sits on the throne of David, He sits on God's throne in heaven, and we're told if we become His followers and live according to His teachings, then we can become co-heirs, which means we get to share the throne of David. And David's advice to anyone who wants to sit on his throne is to be strong, to act like a woman, to act like a man, to act like a grown-up. Be strong. Observe the ways of God. Live according to his laws and his instructions, and the throne that you sit on will never fail, and the storms can't knock your house down. Be strong. David's final words are great words to us with all of the challenges we have today. His encouragement is no matter what comes, be strong. If you need to come forward this morning, please do so as we stand and sing. Turn my heart.